So three, two, one, welcome. Uh, we have a super special guest all the way from Montana, Javi. Uh, tell us about yourself. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Javi Brooke. I live in Bozeman, Montana. I've uh, been here for almost 14 years, kind of hard to believe. And um, I, you know, I, I have a unique family story that I um, love to share because I think, you know, when we share our struggles and our triumphs and our stories, it just helps us create community and connect and we can learn from one another. And it's been, it's been an awesome journey with full of challenges and full of, you know, anything you can imagine, but worth, worth sharing, you know? So um, I have five adopted kids and um, that's kind of, you know, how my story starts, but actually it's actually not how it starts. It starts with, you know, a pretty significant permanent infertility diagnosis. And from there, you know, the journey begins. How did, because um, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, typically um, religious women are not on birth control. So that has zero part. Um, because I think most women for a big chunk of their life, they're, I don't want to have kids. I, I want to prevent. And then poof, they get all birth control and they just assume, okay, now I'm going to have kids. And you don't know until you get there that either you can or you can't. Yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting because I, I grew up, I grew up in an Orthodox home. Um, I'm the oldest of nine and I've always wanted a big family. That's kind of just our culture and you kind of what you expect and what you see and what you want. It wasn't like anyone said, you have to have a big family. It's just how I grew up and I loved it. I loved, you know, growing up in a big family. I loved, you know, that the, the sun and the atmosphere and the, the craziness and the busyness. Like I just, I wanted that for myself. And so, so you're correct in the sense that, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't on birth control. I wasn't trying to prevent pregnancies. Um, but as we got married, uh, when we got married and then we weren't getting pregnant right away, um, we started to um, kind of explore, like, why was that happening and going to doctors and, and all that kind of stuff. And our, and our journey is a little bit unique here. And I'm, I'm not the only ones, but, you know, we, from when we started our infertility journey until we got um, a permanent infertility diagnosis, it was just a year. So wow, that's it's quick. Really really quick like basically you know between my husband and I what our issue was was either going to be resolved with this one procedure or not like there wasn't a million things to try there wasn't a million rounds of IVF there wasn't you know all these if let's try this and let's try this and let's try this it was either this works or it doesn't and um you know so we we prepared for this procedure and you know, I was 23, my husband was 26, really young, you know. Very really young, young. wow. To have, like, these, like, life-changing um, scenarios, and and apparently the this, this procedure wasn't successful, and we felt like we were just told, like, that's it. There's nothing else to do. Like, there, you're, there's nothing to try. You know, on the one hand, you know, it's kind of nice to have that closure and to be able to like move on move on in a sense and figure out what you want to do but on the other hand there's no hope 
there's like there's not nothing you can try there's nothing to do and you're kind of just a little bit lost like okay well now what you know so that was you know took a lot to process and move through that and I think to this day we're still processing that that's not something that just goes away or doesn't matter anymore right like it's it's a constant journey there's ups and there's downs there's um there's times where it's not a big deal and there's times where oh my gosh we still breathe you know so but we we process enough in the sense where we we were like okay well what how are we going to live our life now like now we're at a crossroads like what do we want to do and you know with a lot of discussion and a lot of thought it was just it, it became it was really clear to me that i really wanted a family i couldn't imagine um living and being in this world without children to raise like some people can do that and some people want to do that and that's totally 100% wonderful but it wasn't what i wanted you know and so i had to figure out like this because i have this like this door closed for me right i not going to have biological children doesn't mean i can't have a family so i just had to figure out how and so between my husband and i we we figured out that what we like with the path that we wanted to take and the thing that both of us felt most comfortable with and felt most natural to us was adoption and so, it's a crazy process i think it varies state to state but what what is that process or what was that process for you guys are you going to do it again what's yeah so it was it's we knew nothing about adoption um and especially in the religious world it's not a common thing right you don't find a lot of religious i've never heard of it with you know with having gone through uh, the adoption process so we really had to figure it out for ourselves and we had to um do a lot of research and we had no one that we knew or no mentors or anything that had done this before so we were really on our own figuring out how to make this happen but we're determined and we reached out to professionals lawyers adoption agencies you know just kind of figuring out the process and you can say yeah i want to adopt but there's a lot of legal um stuff you have to do to even be like a legal adoptive parent you can't just say oh i'm going to adopt you have to be certified and legal the state has to approve the fact that you could be an adoptive family i always joke i'm like if every parent had to go through this there'd be a lot you know a higher bar to what it means to be a parent right it's true so the first thing that you have to do is you have to get a home study um which is um basically social services coming um they interview you they check your house there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paperwork paperwork books you have to read fingerprints it's a whole gamut of things it took us a couple months um but that it also gave us something to do like we were being proactive and you know it's great that you want to double we wanted to be ready like if the situation came up if we didn't have our home study in order then it would be nothing we wouldn't be able to adopt so that was our first thing on our list so we got busy doing that um and it was it was a really annoying process like it wasn't fun but you know we did it and i had to i think i remember like i had to go back to the police station six times to get my fingerprints done because i have um my fingers my fingerprints don't show up so um it's almost like i have no fingerprints um so i literally had to do it six times um and every time you want to renew your 
your home study, you have to redo your fingerprints. So I'm like, oh no. Six more times. So yeah, so we just did all that legal stuff, got our paperwork in order, and then we started the process of um, figuring out how to actually, you know, how we want to go about adoption. Like you can go the private route where you hire your lawyer and um, you basically are in charge of finding your own child or scenario and then it's having a lawyer. Or you go the um, agency route. They each have their pluses and minuses. For us, we chose the private route because the agency requires so much money, debt, right? And just to, just for you to talk to just for them to create a profile for you is thousands of dollars, which we didn't have, and no credit cards, right? Like, basically, all our adoptions were on credit cards, and then we figure out how to pay for them down the line. But if the adoption agency isn't willing to take a credit card, it kind of, you know, doesn't make it an option. So we went the private route, and we just, because we live in the Orthodox religious community, because we're shluchim, where we're emissaries, where we um, are out in the boondocks, we have a synagogue, but there's a really awesome network of all these rabbis and who are all around the world that we are, you know, that you can connect with. Exactly. So we kind of put the word out there, and we said, listen, like, this is our situation. Um, we are open to... Um, and adopting a child that's in need and in any situation like because there's rabbis all over the world and and as our job is we are connected with the community and are there for people who are in any circumstance who are struggling so a lot of times rabbis come across like situations that um need need help right yeah and to jump ahead all our five children were adopted that way so, wow and um, so Theoretically, it would be with a Jewish family, if that's so, who the rabbi is coming in contact with. But not all your kids not come from. Not all the time, right? So theoretically, yes. But there's a lot of times where, okay, um, maybe the birth mom isn't Jewish, but is connected or has Jewish parents or is connected to Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we have some of our children are born Jewish and some aren't, um, just depending on the situation. So, but you know, that was really like. It is almost like showed that like this is what God had in mind for us, you know, like this was the path because we did put it out there and that's how we built our family. And each story is so unique and miraculous, you know, like you see, you know, some people are like, Oh, you know, one day you'll you'll with a miracle you'll have a biological child and I'm like, My adoptive children are the miracles. Like, yeah, this there I the was reading your blog it's these are the miracles, right? I'm They're so miraculous. Yeah, so um, so that's how we did it. You know, we just put the word out there. And um, over the last, you know, 12 years, we've adopted five children. Um, some some from birth. I have one that we adopted as a preteen, a 12-year-old, which is a whole nother ballgame. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, and we, we basically... We opened ourselves up to creating a family in a way that wasn't expected, in a way that we didn't anticipate. But because we allowed ourselves to open up and be like, just because it didn't happen this way doesn't mean we don't have to have it at all. And I always say, like, the more you open yourself up to the world, the more you are open to opportunities, the more you're going to get out of life. Because when you close yourself up and say, I don't, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I don't do that. Like, I don't, I don't. Right? I don't, and then you're putting yourself in this box, like, I don't do it. But what happens if you try, right? 
what happens if you do? What happens if you stop putting yourself in this confined box that you create for yourself? Then you have so much more at your fingertips and so much more experiences to have mm -hmm. because you are allowing things to organically happen and be open and just not shutting it off before it even starts. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's really a cool way to raise kids to have that mindset. Um, I was seeing on your blog how you, you know, you, you take the kids on adventures, you do the RV trip, you go skiing, you do this, you do that. And I want to, I want you to touch on a little bit because I know so many parents whose life and people say, when you have kids, no more date night, no more this, no more that it stops. And it's like, no, they're for me and my, like us are my little one. And we know we'll have more, hopefully it's a direct connection of us. They're a piece of us. So why would everything stop? If anything, you should want them to experience it and learn and do. Yes, it might be more work. Yes, you have to be more patient. Yes. It's not the same, right? You exactly, it but it's worth it. Right, and I, you know, I love to travel. That's one of my passions. And um, it's so funny because I had some people tell me, okay, you'll travel again when you're 60 and when your kids are all out of the house. And I'm like, I'm gonna wait until I'm 60 to go uh see the world. Like, that's ridiculous. And who says I'm not even gonna be alive? Like, you know, so I, we travel and guess what? We travel as a family. And yes, we have to adjust and we have to adapt and we can't do everything that we could do if we didn't have children and we can't, you know, we have to make accommodations and we have to make sure that our kids are capable and are part of their journey. But it shouldn't, I mean, it shouldn't stop you. Like, we go on adventures and I think that's a really important part of our life. Like, Life is really difficult, life is hard, our children have really high needs, it can be really overwhelming, especially we live in a small town, far away from family, like, these things are hard, but part of, part of you know, enjoying life is, is creating those memories and those moments, and a lot of times I, I, I people ask me, or I know the people are thinking, like, where do you have the money to travel? And I'm like, I don't. I don't have the money for it, but to me, it's more important. I'd rather have uh, debt on my credit card and figure out how to pay for it slowly over time and have the life experiences than, you know, not being able to do anything because I'm so trapped in my financial state. Now, not to say to be irresponsible, everyone has to figure out their finances for themselves and everyone, some people like to live exactly within their means and I so, so honor that. For me, I'm like, I, you know, these are the things that I want to do, and I'm going to figure out how to do them. So obviously, we're not, you know, staying in five star hotels and, you know, you know, being utterly irresponsible. But I'm going to travel. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make those trips happen. I'm going to make those memories happen because for me, those memories and those experiences are what shape our family, are what bond us together, are what help us problem solve. Like I have in my blog, like. I think it's like five or seven things that kids learn from traveling. Like, you know, like these are huge life skills that we're teaching our children. You know, I can't even tell you every single time we travel, like 50,000 things go wrong. You know, our flights canceled, our, our luggage is lost. Like so many of that stuff happens and we have to figure out together as a family how we're going to deal with it. You know, if my husband and I can't just throw a tantrum or throw our hands up in the air and give up. Like we can't, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's to up to us together as a family to figure out how to move through these these tricky situations and it also shows them the world right 
You live in Bozeman, Montana. It's not a diverse town. You know, you're seeing white people everywhere. Like, there's nothing else. And I want my children to be exposed to other cultures, other ways of living, other, you know, when people look, like, when people live, like, what people eat, like, all these things are so enriching to our lives. And so to me, and other, some people don't feel that way. Traveling is not a thing for them. And that's great. And that, you know, something else is what drives them and what is their passion. But for me, that's something that I really, really feel really strongly about. And I want my family to be included in it, not to just do it when they're older and I don't have to worry about them. Well, and if they only do it when they're older, it's easy for them to not do it because they never did it. Right. It's like a comfort zone thing, right? My kids are really comfortable with traveling and being, you know, in different countries and, you know, and because of kosher food, like sometimes we're not, we're not, we're not like when we travel, it's not about going out to restaurants, whatever, like we're eating peanut butter and jelly for dinner for a like, yeah. And that's, and that's part of the adventure. Like, how are we going to, we have a certain amount of food and how are we going to make it work, right? And what are we going to eat for lunch? And what are we going to eat for dinner? And, you know, that's part of the journey. Sometimes you expect, you go somewhere where you expect there's a kosher store and it's not accurate or they don't have very much. And so you're, you're having to be creative, you know? And you know what? Our kids, sometimes we worry about them, but they're so um, resilient and they're yeah. so adaptable. As long as you carry that, you, you set the tone, Right. So if this is an adventure, this is cool and fun, like they're going to follow along and they're going to be like, okay, we got this. We sometimes are so scared for our children. We're so scared that they're going to be uncomfortable. We're so scared that it's going to be hard for them. And that's part of the beauty. Like, uncom- like mm-hmm. be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Just like sit that. in it. Yeah. Like, let's be here. Let's do this, you know? <laughs> um, so that's part of the adventure. And, you know, I do, I do hope one day I can go – on a trip just with my husband to some luxurious location <laughs> without my kids. You know, that is a dream of mine. But I'm not going to, you know, wait to have adventure for um, my kids are grown. Like, I want to have the adventures with them. Yeah, of course. I mean, and it's truly what you're saying. It's That's where the memories are created. It's That's where they're learning. That's where it's all, that's where it happens. Totally. Totally. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So you got, you're in Montana. Is there a big Jewish community there? How does, I never even, because I'm from Michigan, and everyone's always like, there's a Jewish community there, what? Right, and how much more so in Montana, right? Yeah. Um, so yes, there's a Jewish community. Obviously, it's small. Like, our our town only has 40,000 people, our city. So, I mean, like, that's like literally one block of Manhattan, you know? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, it's all relative, but yes, there's a beautiful Jewish community. There's a lot of, um, you know, people want to live here. Because it's it's beautiful. The quality of life is amazing. Um, priority the priorities here are amazing. Like everybody is super, you know, outdoorsy and healthy, and you know, want, wants to live life is isn't as distracted by you know the physical like what you have and don't have. You know, looking mm-hmm. at you know, it's just not like that here. The objects. Yeah, I mean, people have nice things if they want, but like it's just not a thing, you know, and are really focused on experience right life uh, opportunities wholesome wholesome education like it's just a really great place to live so people do end up here um we have a really great wonderful jewish community obviously small compared to big cities but we are so busy right because we really focus on our focus on the individual like we don't really care how many people come to our um 
classes or Shabbat dinners mm-hmm. or all that stuff. It's like, it's about personal connections. We spend a lot of our time learning with one-on-one with people, going to coffee, you know, making those one-on-one connections. Yeah. To us, that's what it's all about. We Quality rather than quantity. 500 people at our services, but that's not our goal. Right. You know? So it's just, it really, you know, it's, it's a great um, community for us, right? I mean... And we love it, and it's it's literally become like our family. It's amazing. It's so wonderful, and um, anyone who comes and visits can feel that energy, and just it's such a loving, warm community. And you know, it's it's harder during COVID because some of that in-person stuff isn't able to happen. When it was nice weather outside, we're able to do things outside Mm -hmm. and socially distance. But now it's freezing already, and so it's hard. It's hard not to be able to see our people and but we always find ways to continue that connection and that you know the growth and mm-hmm. you know there's there's always a way um and hopefully hopefully soon we can get back to normal i'm waiting i'm like when is this gonna happen? it's crazy it's such a wild time it definitely makes you realize one how good things were but also it makes you more resourceful in figuring things out now right and it makes you kind of realize also like certain things that we thought we weren't able to live without and we can't yeah you know we have to um and hopefully yeah one day like someday soon we can go back to to i don't think life is ever going to be the same but i do think i'm hoping that we can learn and we can go when we go back to a more regular life it'll be better because we will have taken some pointers right Mm -hmm. and some priorities and know you know, looking at the country and the political atmosphere, like it's hard to believe that that's going to happen. But I'm hoping that as individuals, in our own lives, we can change. We can do things better. Yeah, and exactly. We can take responsibility for ourselves and our families. That's what I hope. Well, and you know, it's that saying, "Be the change you want to see," and it's so true because it's like it's easy as humans to fall back into old patterns and ways. Oh. But it's like you, if with this, it's been it happened so quick, and it's been such a quick what, seven months, but it's still, if you're forming new habits, you try to hold on to them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we were thrown into this, like, no, like, just, it happened at the blink of an eye, and then I I don't think any of us imagined that we'd still be in the situation, we'd be like, oh, whatever, six weeks, a couple months, you know, the fact that we're still here, and we're still trying to figure it out, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is hard, but it's building resilience, it's building character, and you know, but there are a lot of ramifications, you know, like our children are not getting what they need, you know, from schools or socially, and we're going to have to deal with those consequences, and I don't think any of us are coming out of this unscathed, like I think all of us have really suffered in one way or another, whether it's, you know, mental health-wise, mm-hmm. or or actually physical-wise, or losing someone, or, you know, we've all, none of us has gone out of this context. Um and I just hope that it, it was for it was for a purpose. Exactly, like something that, that we at can the end understand. Of the day, something changes, and it wasn't all for nothing. You mm-hmm. know, definitely. Um, so along those lines, how do you um, how do you juggle it all? Right, because you guys are running the kebab. Did you guys bring the kebab to Montana? Yeah, or? we're the first. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're the first. Yeah. So how do you juggle it? Because it's it's a it's a baby still, right? Like. You're building your community. You're building everything, uh, and you have four or five kids. Five. Five, husband. 
you know, um, it's a really good question. And I, and I really, really think that, especially as women, we always have this pressure of like having to do it all and do it all perfectly and do it all well. Um, and what I've learned over the years is my, my job and my, my community and my life in Bozeman is really important to me and my family is really important to me. So how do I, how do I make that, like, how do I make that work? You know, and I think, I think it's about being present in the moment. Like sometimes your kids are going to need your full attention and you're not going to be able to focus so much on programming and classes and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes your kids are doing really well and you could focus on your job and your work. I think we get ourselves into trouble when we're constantly thinking about the future. Like, oh my gosh, like if I don't do this class right now, then I'm going to lose all my momentum. I'm going to lose my community and I'm going to lose whatever. Or, you know, and, and I think when we focus in the present moment and, and really tune into what is necessary for right now, we'll be okay. So it's not, I think the juggling act is not trying to do it all, all the time. I think it's really tuning into what's important for the moment. So right now, like my family is not in the greatest place and they're really high needs and they need a lot of attention and, and appointments mm -hmm. and therapies and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what I have to focus on. And so I'm not as active in my job, right? And then hopefully they'll settle down and I will, and when they go to school, they'll actually be in school and I won't need to be called a hundred times a day and I, you know, and I'll be able to focus on my work and my job. And it's, you know, and sometimes, you know, me, I, I actually love my work and I sometimes get frustrated by not being able to do my work, but I try to focus on as much as I can, like, I'm present moment. What am I needed for right now? And I think if we do that, we'll very rarely be scared in a long direction. If we really focus on what is, what am I needed for right now? Then yeah. we're always going to make the right choice. You know, 100%. and it's not about doing it all, all the time perfectly. It's about picking the thing that needs to be done right now and doing the best you can with it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, well, two parts of that. So one part is you have to make sure that you're full before you're yeah. constantly giving, right? And the other part of that is um, someone recently asked me, and it was so funny, they were just a discussion about places we've been or this or that, like, our favorite place. And the first thing that came to mind for me was my favorite place is here and now. Truly. Because I'm really ha like, I think it's so easy, especially with social media and, you know, having um, like the modern phones where you get your flashbacks and your highlights and this and that. Right. It's or so you're like towards something or I can't wait till this. Or yeah. And so it's like, just enjoy now. I mean, that's, that's, I really feel like that's the magic answer. It's so hard because we're, our brain is wired to think about the future and to, and to dwell on the past, mm -hmm. right? Like our brain's wired to like not be able to move on or always think to the future, but we can train our brain to be more focused on the present. And I think that's like the, the antidote and the answer to so much of our struggles. Like what, what's stress? Stress is when we're worried about something that's going to happen in the future. What's depression or what's. You know, what are some of these things? It's, it's, it's when we're not able to be present. Mm -hmm. And 
and yeah, some sometimes our brains are wired in a way that is chemically makes it harder, and we need medication or we need mm-hmm. support for that. But no psychiatrist and no therapist is going to tell you that medication is going to cure it all, right? You have to also really work hard on what you think about and what you choose to dwell on and what you choose to, mm-hmm. to how you choose to allowing where your mind goes. Right. And that is in your control, right? Like I always, you know, you know, there's um, the Hasidic um, book, the Tanya, right? Which is like the, the basis of Hasidic philosophy. And in there it talks about how thought is an action, right? Some people think, well, you can't control what you think about, but no, actual thought is an action. You can't, you can't control the knock on the door, right? You can't control that the thought comes up, but you do control if you open that door and offer it tea and coffee and cake and have it, have a place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you don't get to control what you think of, but you get to control what you think about. Correct. Right? So that's a huge perspective shift. When you know that you are in control of what you're going to think about and what you dwell on, it gives us so much power. And yeah. it's hard, not to say it's easy, it's, it probably will take a lifetime to, to master it, right? But when we know that we can constantly re- rewire our brain, remind our brain that, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to think about something that isn't going to provide any service for me. It's just going to bring me down. But very importantly, that's not meaning, that's not you, right? That's our thoughts. Like, we're, it's really important to feel our feelings, right, and not push those away. Mm-hmm. Because they'll just keep on coming back. So we right. need to we need to give our feelings the attention that it deserves. We need to tell our feelings, yes, we hear you. And I find that when we do that, when we give our feelings the space that it needs, we usually can move through them in a healthier way. When we shove them down and we push them away and we say, no, I, it's not okay for me to feel that. I feel shame or guilt feeling that. It's just going to keep on coming back. So there's a difference between controlling your thoughts and feeling your feelings, right? Like, we, we need to find that perfect balance of being present, feeling our feelings, honoring those feelings, and controlling what we, like, perseverate and dwell on, you yeah. know? Well, and it's so easy, and I think it almost seems like now, because everything is constant, which I want to ask you about also, it's so constant stimulation of oh, this message or this, you know, email, this, that, what's going on? What's she doing? What's she doing? It's so easy to even not, to just not realize that you're pushing things away or you're not. get caught up in it. Oh, for sure. Uh, So my question for you is because you have a team and your kids are getting a little bit older, what do you, because you have a blog and you are a very modern orthodox, um, because I remember growing up in a Chabad, and this was, I can't believe, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but you know, this is 25 years ago. There, they didn't have uh, TV. There was no radio. They only had the tapes that were playing uh, religious music. And it was such an enclosed box where now everything's at your fingertips. What do you do with your kids for, um, and I think it's something obviously every parent is going to have to deal with regardless of being religious or, you know, whatever they are or not. Oh, for um, sure. What for are you sure. doing with your kids for social media or not, or giving a phone or iPad or, especially with COVID, because now you have to give 
So yes. Oh my gosh. I have a lot of strong feelings about this because I've lived through a lot of different experiences that I never thought I would. Um, but so, so we are typical Orthodox family in the sense that we don't have a TV. Um, we have a, we have radio and, but you know, obviously my husband and I both have phones or on social media. Um, I have a teenager. We adopted our teenager at 12 and she joined our family with a phone with, with a smartphone. And because there were so many changes and she was acclimating, we were, God, just let it be. We let her have the phone. Um, maybe it would have made a different choice hindsight, but life happens the way it's supposed to, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to dwell on that. But, you know, my experience, because I've lived through it, is that social media is very powerful. It can be powerful in the positive way and very powerful in the negative way. As adults, um, it is very powerful, and it's even extremely difficult for adults to manage social media correctly. But we actually have the ability to because our brains are developed. Our brains have stopped growing. I mean, they're always growing, but our, our neural pathways are formed, and like we and our impulse control is, you know, we can have impulse control. Teenagers cannot. So we, if an adult has social media, it's at least possible for them to use it correctly. Teenagers cannot. Teenagers do not have the ability to navigate social media in a healthy way because their brains are not ready for that. We, they do not have the ability to um, not get sucked in or not do something really It's intensive. addictive. Send the naked picture because it feels good in the moment, but they're going to regret it later. They don't have the ability to look forward and understand the ramifications of what they do in social media mm -hmm. and the bullying and the, the the influence you know so my daughter um had you know it was a horrible thing and you know she she had a lot of trauma and she suffered with a lot of different things to begin with but let's say you let's say you have a child that's suffering from eating disorder and then she's on social media all the accounts she's going to follow all the people that she's going to follow are going to be feeding that correct you know, that insecurity in her. And it's just going to make it so much worse. The same thing with self-harm. You know, there are accounts that promote self-harm. It's crazy. Right? Like, you would never believe it. So, so giving our chat, like, giving our children social media at this age isn't fair. We're not doing them a service by saying, here's this really cool thing that could be really dangerous, but I trust you're going to make the right decisions. They're not able to. It's just not fair. So from learning from these experiences and um, really, really digging deep, um, my, my, my teenager ended up going to a wilderness therapy program and a therapeutic boarding school to deal with her trauma and all that stuff. And when she came back home, um, she doesn't have a smartphone. She wow. has that's called, it's called Gab Wireless. It's amazing because it looks like a smartphone because a lot of their struggle is what it looks like, right? They don't want to walk around with a flip phone and, and it's like, in your face, look, I don't have social media. Mm -hmm. So her phone looks like an Android. You know, it looks like a smartphone. But the only capability she has is talk and text. And guess what? She can't even text pictures. That's amazing. Wow. So, yes, if some people might feel like that's really harsh and that's, you know, how is she ever going to learn and whatever. I'm like, she's going to build the skills and when her brain is ready and when her brain can handle it, She'll make, she will be able to make the choices on social media. Will she always make good choices? Probably not. But at least 
she has the ability and the brain power to mm-hmm. make proper choices. So, so I, I feel very like strongly like social media for a teenager is not fair. We're not giving them, we're not setting them up for success. And I say this because I've been through it and I know it and I see it to be true. So my now 16 year old, every single person in her life and every single one of her friends has a smartphone, but mm-hmm. she does not. And that's okay. And I feel really, really good about that decision. And she's accepted it. I'm sure she's, you know, she's annoyed by it at times, but she understands that she knows that this is it. And um, this is, this is what it is. And I feel like we can do our children just because for someone like, well, you're telling your kids you can't have it, but you have it. Yes, adults are different than children. Adults can handle it. Do adults make stupid choices? Yes, but at least they have the choice. And now with, um, now, like, you're right, like, with COVID, it's, it's really hard because, I love you, uh, <laughs> one of my kids are going to school, and uh, she does school online in the morning and then goes to school, so, oh, wow. um, so, now with COVID, like, and a lot of times, you know, they're in and out of school, like, my daughter is in school, but so many times they shut school because, they, you know, there's a possible case of mm-hmm. you know, someone getting tested, so they, they need a computer, and it was really scary for us. I'm like, we have, you know, we have it, we're doing really well right now with no smartphone, no social media. So she, she doesn't have a computer yet, but she is going to get a Chromebook. She's going to get a computer. And what we did was we, um, we made a computer contract and we're like, this is what this looks like. These are our expectations. These are the hours that you can work on your computer. These, these are, you know, I'm going to have, I can't put restrictions on it because the restrictions actually block sites that she needs for school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to have, like, I can have, like, I can see the sites that she goes on. Right. I'm going to be able to see that. And if there's anything that I'm worried about, it's not a conversation. I take the computer until I feel safe yeah. enough for you to have it back. Totally. So we have to adapt. Would it, and ideally, I would say no computer. But being that this is the situation that we're in, she needs a computer. She's 16, and this is for school. And she, you know, she's gonna, you know, go on YouTube and she's gonna watch the videos and whatever she's gonna do on it. Um, I am, I am um, putting some trust in her, and but it's in a very structured way. And I and I'm able to say like, if this if this isn't going well, then it stops happening. Yeah, simple. You know. So that is my, my really um, passionate thoughts about social media. So if anyone is having like a preteen and a teenager and not knowing what to do with a phone, I really suggest you check out Gab Wireless. G-A-B? Um, G-A-B-B, I think. Okay, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll look it up and put a link here so people and, can see. And you should definitely do a blog post about it. People who own it, I have no snakes in it. I don't get any, like, <laughs> it's just, it's been such a blessing for our family. And now yeah. I have an 11-year-old who's already like, I'm gonna see it, I'm gonna phone. I'm like, Maybe, maybe you'll get a phone soon. Like maybe when you're 13, 14, maybe a phone, but yeah. it ain't going to be social media. It ain't going to be a smartphone. You're going to have no internet capabilities. Like this is not something, it's not fair. It's not fair to ask them to manage that. Well, there was this, uh, did you, I only watched the first like 20 minutes. I need to actually sit down and watch it, but it was the, it's called the social dilemma. Yes. I've heard so much about it. I haven't watched it. I haven't had a chance. What to I it. saw, they had, it's statistics, it's database, it's, you know, it gives little scenarios and it's, it's really scary because even as an adult, exactly. you know, you go on social media and I have, I have girlfriends, I have my niece, my whoever, and I see 
how social they compare themselves and it's really a detriment to their self-esteem and it's oh my gosh it's, it's time sucking it's horrible yeah, I mean, we're being influenced and manipulated in ways we don't even know. To watch um, it when like you have said, a chance. Right, and from, even for adults, that's scary. And we need to be really mindful of our social media use. Like, I feel really strongly that, you know, I love Instagram, right? I, I love it. I, I love the community that, you know, that I'm a part of. And there's so many good things about it. And and I also am aware of the negatives. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know? Like, I don't think that social media shouldn't exist. I think there's a lot of beautiful, powerful things to it, but being aware and being cognizant of the manipulation, the way that our brains are mm -hmm. being trained, like maybe we'll, we'll fall prey to that sometimes. And, but being aware of it is really powerful, but it just proves the point even more. Like if adults are having a hard time managing that, why do we think that our teenagers should be able to do yeah. it? Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. It really is very powerful, and and, and our like teenagers are susceptible to addictions. They're susceptible to all these things because their their brains are still forming. Mm -hmm. Their thoughts, their opinions are still forming, and they're so malleable. They're so easily formed. Like we need to be able to give them that chance to do so without being bombarded with so many other thoughts. They don't they don't even know what to think. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. If adults can't do it properly, then how can you expect kids to? But also I think it goes to um, the society norm or the standard that society puts up. Right. Having everybody a, has it. Right? Yeah, like, having a like, phone like, that looks... Everybody has a phone and everybody does it. This is the world we're living in today. But you know, we still get to make choices. And just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean Correct. it's the right thing. And, and it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of strength to be able to hold that and stand that and be able to... To, to hold the anger of your kids when you tell them you're not getting a smartphone. Like, mm -hmm. they're going to be mad. They're going to be angry. And us as parents, we have to understand that we're not always going to be liked by our children. We're not always going to be able to make them happy. But we have to not let that distract us because they're counting on us to keep them safe. And as it is, we can't control everything. But they, you know, they're gonna, if they're going to be unsafe, you know, they, there's always a way to find something unhealthy to do. But mm -hmm. why make it at their fingertips? Why make it so easy for them? Exactly. You know, and just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. And we have the power to make those choices. So I actually can physically tell you and say that it's possible that your six-year-old kid is going to go to school without a smartphone. You know what? They're going to be okay. Yeah. Like, it's going to be okay. And yes, she's the only one. <laughs> and it's still okay. But you know, she, there's probably she probably uses her time so much better because she's not just constantly. Like, she's productive with her time and does... Right, and she wants to watch TV and she wants to watch her shows. And so guess what? We go to the, remember the rental movie stores? And we rent the season of Bones that she wants to watch. Or the, you know, the movie that she wants to watch. Like, I'm not against her watching, doing that. But it's so much more controlled, right? Yeah. Like, here's the show that you want to watch. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to give you it with all the other crap that it comes along with. Well, you know, and also the other part of that, I think that's so, um, well, two parts. One, it's easier for a parent to just say, here, occupy yourself. Right. Like, yeah. I understand people have full-time jobs and I understand people, yeah. you know, parents yeah. are busy, yeah. but I don't think that just giving the kid the iPad or giving them the phone or giving right. them to keep you know them. And then they learn to read and they learn to, yeah. you know, to play the guitar or, or exercise. Yeah. Be social with your 
friends, you like talk, right? Not to be creative, to draw, to do other things that they probably wouldn't just pick, try to try if they were just busy scrolling. It's okay to be bored. Yeah. Right? Like we don't always have to be stimulated. Don't always have to be occupied. If you're bored, that's usually when something creative is going to happen. Yeah. Or or not. Like or be bored. Or take a nap. <laughs> yeah. Like. It's okay. Like sometimes they also think that kids in the society nowadays are old. They're constantly being having to be entertained. They have to do something. They have mm -hmm. to be busy. No, be bored. Well, and I think that that's why it's so. Because um, I have a little. I have a six-month-old, right? So everything has to be pulled back, and I don't have a nanny. I don't. My husband and I juggle between her, and we both. You know, we, he has a full-time business and career, and. I'm figuring out my stuff and I have clients and I, like, but it's one of those things where when I'm with her and I'm with her basically 23 or 22 hours a day, I have to pull back and I have to focus on her and you know, she's crawling and she's pulling herself up and she's here and there and it's really being present, which we spoke present. about, but it's like, I could very simply just turn on the TV or give her a little something to watch. And I do, I actually, it's funny because I was talking to my girlfriend about this. I let her watch, I allow her to watch basically one to two episodes. Each episode is 15 minutes. And it's like baby stuff. So it's the colors, it's stimulating, they speak different languages. So whether or not she's actually learning, I don't know. But right. I do think because now I can't do mommy and me groups. I can't go, you know, because COVID. You have to adapt, right? Yeah, so I'm doing things that I don't want to do. But I do think it's necessary for her to hear baby voices and hear baby, you know, the goo goo right. gaga. Right. So that's my alternative. Like we still go to the park and we still, we're very active. Um, right. But it's interesting because it's like, how do you find your balance? It's finding the balance. And the balance will look different for every family. And exactly. The, the, you know, and I think the most important thing is we don't judge each other for our choices, right? Yeah. Um, and we're never in somebody else's shoes. We never can fully understand somebody else's um, scenario, predicament, mm -hmm. life. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't have the power to make our own choices and we don't have to be swept up in just because everybody does it. That means we need to do it too, you know? And um, we all, like every family will find their balance. Like for my family, um, for my younger kids, like screen time is, is, is so detrimental. Like in the end, I, I, it's not even worth it. So my, like my kids, they get 45 minutes on Sunday. That's it. Not because I think that it's bad to watch every day. I, I would love it. I would love it if it worked for our family. It would be amazing. But it doesn't work for my family. Yeah. So I give them. So so I have to figure out what works for my family, and that may sound extreme for some people, but it's what works. Forty-five minutes a day of screen time isn't isn't bad. Like if that works for your family, great. But it's once a week because I have I know that they're kids and they want to watch, and I have to grin and bear it because mm -hmm. after they watch, they're going to be monsters. But you know, once a week I can handle that. Not every day. Yeah. You know? So it's really about. Really, really focus. It's really about focusing on what's best for you and your family, and not worrying about what anybody else thinks, mm -hmm. what anybody else is doing. If you can do that, then you're going to make the right choices. Because if you can block out the noise and block out the, you know, the expectations or the, you know, this the the status or the whatever it mm -hmm. means in your head, then it's really hard to make the right choice for our family. But if you can do that, if you can just 
really hyper focus on what's really best for you and your family. And I'm saying you also, you yeah. as a parent have to also manage and survive. And sometimes that's with screen time. Then you're going to make the right choice because you're not worried about what anybody else thinks or feels or does because mm -hmm. it's really not relevant. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a weird time because so many are wrapped up in what's so-and-so doing or keeping up with the Joneses or that type of stuff. And even now, now because of, because of COVID, so many people are less likely to go outside and less likely to go for walks and less likely to do go out and do the things. So now they are, it's just so much more screen time and scrolling. And I think that it makes it really, you have to put the effort, extra effort in. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It takes a lot of effort. On, on the one hand, I feel like because everybody has to so hyper-focus on their family, people are starting to understand priorities. And then on the other hand, so, there's a lot more screens because we don't have as many options. So it's, it's, and my, my, my favorite thing about life is if you find the balance, then you, you, you know any extreme is never good, right? Right. So, and that looks different for every family. But if you can find the balance for your family, then you're going to be okay. You know, like, totally be okay. Um, so then, because we are coming up on somehow the hour just flew by, of course. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know it's insane. So my last question, which I know you have a lot of this on your blog. Um, but I want, I was of course, you know, stalking everything that you post and everything on your social media because I wanted to learn and read and see with, so with your kids, um, how do you, cause some, the, you got when they're older or younger or whatever it is, and they obviously just, you know, you kind of just fold them in and they adjust and adapt because kids are truly resilient. Um, with any issues or thing, because you mentioned this in the beginning of the episode, each one comes with their own thing as any individual, whether you adopt them or yourself or whatever it is, how do you, um, how do you, how do you learn? How do you adapt? How do you, because each kid is yeah. so different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. You know, it, it is something that will be a life journey, right? Like I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly having to reevaluate and re-figure out like how to manage all the different things that we have going on. But the one thing that I really take to heart is that, um, first of all, I don't have to do it alone, right? So I have a lot of professionals. Like each of my kids have a therapist. I have a therapist. Um, I have professionals that I talk to that are experts in the field and help guide me because there's no way that I can figure out every, you know, I adopted a 12 year old. I didn't, I went straight into preteen. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't, it didn't come, it didn't, it didn't gradually happen for me, you know? So I really do have to lean into those, those people that I really trust and can help. I read a ton, right? I always want to learn. I'm always learning. Um, how, what it's like to parent a child with trauma, right? What's it like to parent a child that are that is adopted that has, you know, that is inevitably going to have some attachment stuff play out, whether it's from birth or not. Like, you know, some people are like, "Oh, it's from birth." Like, it's and like, you know, a, a child that's adopted, their most important attachment was broken the second that they were born. Mm -hmm. Like that has ramifications. Those things mean something, right? Why do you hold your baby 
skin to skin, you know, right when you when you have that child, because that's super important. When a child doesn't get that, there are ramifications. So um, instead of, you know, being ignorant and willing it to not be true or hoping that it won't be true, I lean into it and I, I was like, this is the reality. This is how it is for an adopted child. I want to know. I want to know how best to help them through that. So it's a lot of being open to education and being open to learning and being open to doing things better. Um, and it's a lot of failure. Like there's a lot of stuff that you don't get right and you just have to pick yourself up and try again. And it's, it's exhausting and it's crazy making, but it's beautiful, you know? And, and, um, I just, you know, it's just really being open to, like I said before, if you're open to the things around you, you're open to people, you're open to um, learning and not being closed off and saying, mm -hmm. I don't do that or I don't, this doesn't work for me. There's so many things as a parent, like I never thought that I would face. Like I never thought that I would have a child that suffered with suicidal ideations. Like I never thought that that was going to be my life. I never thought that I would be dealing with an eating disorder. I never thought that I would be dealing with a kid that it had, you know, a diff, you know, has super violent and it has impulse control. Like these are things that I didn't envision for myself. But am I just going to pretend they don't exist and hope they go away, or am I going like, to address them, deal yeah. with it head on? So I think it's it's really about that. Um, there are, you know, I have a lot of bad days where I'm just like, do I even want to get out of bed in the morning? You know, like this is too hard. Um, but those are days, and then we have good days, and then we have, you know, and I just. Being present in your journey and really, really, you know, using the people around you, getting educated, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, working hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, real quick before we go, because I know you have, and I'm, yeah. we're busy. Yeah. Um, so with your five kids, each one has a different story and you talk about them very, well, no, you go in depth. I don't remember if you go in depth with each of them on the blog. I think right now there's probably like three out of the five that are more in depth, mm -hmm. and my 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 three-year-old's journey is still really developing, you know. Um, but yeah, I do talk about it a lot. So for the viewers, make sure that you look there because it's very interesting. Um, because yeah. the, you're and just give them a quick preview of um, the three that you've talked about on the blog. Okay, so. Um, I've talked about my first adoption, right? And the, my first one, my first daughter was 11, and our, I talked about a lot about our infertility journey and how we got to adopting, and then what it was like to adopt my first child and her kind of history. I spoke about my second child who we adopted um, because she has a really rare genetic disorder um, that only 500 people in the world have, and I spoke about that journey and figuring that out and what that looks like. And then I spoke about my teenager because she joined her family at 12, had a ton of trauma, you know, all the steps that it took to um, get through that and still getting through. Like, it's still really, really hard, you know? Um, and then I actually did, so number four, I actually got to speak about my son and um, because he's black. So the whole racial piece of that and what it's like to incorporate that into our family and how we feel about, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So really just my little baby, I didn't get into too much detail yet. But there's a lot on there. <laughs> yeah, it's so, you know, it's literally just addicting. You just want to keep reading. 
So oh, thank you. That means so much. Yeah, no, it's a few a few of the girls who we both mutually know, they're like, I'm obsessed with her. And I'm like, I'm so happy that I get to, you know, learn more and be a little more in depth with thank her you. because it's it's really an inspiring story. So yeah, there's so much to talk about, but it's just so inspiring to hear because it's, you. you know, you overcame and you're overcoming and you help others overcome. And it's, it's awesome because I don't think that there's enough, um, women who back women. It's yeah. for whatever yeah. reason, we need to be on this so much. So many times we're like, we're fighting each other or we're putting each other down because it, you know, we don't feel adequate, but really we're on the same team. Like we just need to keep on putting it, you know, propping each other yeah. up not judging what the other person is doing and 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 like supporting one another yeah. i mean and then we're so powerful because women we're powerful we just have to channel it you know yeah yeah it's true um okay so i'm gonna let you start your day um okay. thank awesome. you again so 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 much it was so nice to meet you and yeah, um be well you. and stay well and yeah, uh, thank you so much and like you said check out the blog i'm sure you'll you'll post it i will i'll send i'll put a link here just say the what it's uh clear as mud.com or i don't know clear as mud.blog okay okay so, so i'll put the link here so people can see it and then you can follow me on instagram which is under my name javi brook but you know i'm always i always love to meet new people and share you know our stories and create connections so thanks so much do for you have me. anything else you're working on um as far as anything you want to share like, um, I have a couple stuff in the works that are still super in the early stages, but really my blog is still super new. So it's still my baby. So I'm still like really putting a lot of effort into that and creating content that it's important to have content that's inspirational and deep, but also like the fun, practical stuff, right? Like lunches and healthy food and traveling. And like, so I'm really working on having a well-balanced blog where you can go for inspiration, you can go for something fun, you can go for toy ideas, you can just, you know, hopefully it's like a good one-stop shop for anybody who's looking for something. That's what I, my goal is. Perfect. Um, so I'll put the link here so people can, you know, check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Have a great day and yeah, uh, see you. We'll be in touch. Bye. Bye.